0: How you guys doing? Okay. He's excited. He's always excited. <laughs> if, if you guys are kind of in smaller tables, maybe you ought to get together a little bit or something like uh, Odell said. I don't want to push you too much, but, you know, at least have someone you can talk to. We're going to do the table talk a little bit uh, later towards the end. Good time of worship. Good word, Marlene. Give glory to God with everything. That was good. Shout to the Lord, sing worship and praise, being in his presence. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Tonight we're going through uh, John chapter 16. I'm going through verses 16 through 24. We're going to continue through. We're getting close. We're in the last few days of Jesus' life on this earth. And uh, the verses we're looking at tonight, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death for his uh, departure, where their life's going to change forever because he's gone. And Jesus knows that his disciples will suffer such a great loss that he promises them that they'll have abundant joy in a short while. That their sadness will be turned to joy. And he encourages them that as he's gone, that they will still be able to pray. And that as they ask things and God's God's will that, that they will be answered. In chapter 16, we're kind of going back a little bit like I always like doing from week to week to kind of just catch us up to where we're going to be at in, in verse 16. And I'm even going back a little bit further, all the way back to chapter 15, verse 18, because he starts talking about a subject and then it follows on into chapter 16. You know, when they put the Bible together, it, it didn't have chapters, you know. It, it, men put that in there so you and I could reference where we need to go. But in verse uh, 18 of 15, he begins to talk to his disciples and says, Listen, the world's going to hate you. The world has hated him, Jesus said to his disciples. And they're going to hate you because you represent me. And what I've realized over the years is that the more we look like Jesus, the more the world really hates us. And the more hostility that you and I are going to face. He tells his disciples, he says, listen, I've chosen you to come out of this world, and it seems like a strange thing, but they were to live in the world, but not to be a part of it. And as Christians, that's what we're supposed to do, to live in it, but not be a part of it. Persecution was coming. You know, we, we don't get too much persecution. We really don't. But from time to time, we do when we really identify with Jesus and his teachings, when we really live by his words. He warned his disciples that when this mounting pressure would come on them from all of this persecution that they were going to experience, he warned them, he says, don't give up the faith. Don't abandon your faith. And, you know, it, it's amazing as Christians, you know, we still face the same things the world face, don't we? We get the same thing. I thought kind of when I first came to Christ as a young man, 19 years old, that I, I was never going to have to face troubles in my life again. Boy, that, that went like that. We do face those things from time to time, and it's tough. And when Christians face those things, just like the disciples did, those unexpected tragedies or those hard times, Christians, and I've seen them do this, either they draw closer to God or they just sometimes just walk away from God. They abandon their faith. And Jesus, telling these 12 men he spent three years with, said, don't do that. He told them that they're going to be expelled from the synagogues. That's like their churches. They were, they were going to be defriended, you know, because they were followers of Christ. And they were even going to try and kill him. Remember Paul the Apostle? Well, his name used to be Saul. He used to hunt people down. He found Stephen one time, and he stood there, and he held his coat, and he gave the command to kill him. They were going to get killed. Christians have been killed. I was reading an article on Christianity Today, and I think I've got a slide on there. There it is. And and they were talking about uh, the the, uh, uh, 50 countries where it's hardest to be the Christians, and I thought it was very interesting. Excuse me. The number one one was North Korea. And three was Afghanistan. Seven was Iraq. Iran was eight. China was number 39. And Mexico... Who would have thought, where's Kim? Mexico. Number 40, Russia's not even on that list. You know what I found? I found that if you want to be popular, don't be a Christian. Don't be a Christian. Because you really probably aren't going to be too popular doing that when we identify with Jesus Christ. And that's what he was telling his disciples. He promised them an advocate. Chapter 14 and 16. He promised them the Holy Spirit that would be their helper, their teacher, that he would lead them. His ministry is so important. It's amazing that we're hearing more and more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I hear, you know, I listen to other pastors on the radio and so much talking about the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't take away from Jesus' ministry. What it does, it builds upon it. It builds upon it. It elevates it. Jesus said that the holy spirit as he left the holy spirit that the holy spirit was gonna convince convict or bring to light three things and if you remember back in in chapter 16 three things sin righteousness and judgment those three things is what the holy spirit is supposed to convince this world about bring to light sin that means missing the mark We as non-Christians, we we missed the mark. We fell short of God's glory, his purpose, his desire for our personal life. The unbelief keeps a person from hitting the mark, from being right with God. The rejection of the free gift of God, it's fatal. It's fatal. There is no forgiveness for that sin. You know that? That's the only sin that's unforgivable is unbelief. And then the second thing that the Holy Spirit is supposed to do is to convince people and to speak about the righteousness of God, about being in good standing with God. People try to get right with God. You know how they do that? Through works, doing works, their lifestyle, even religion. They they want to earn accessibility to God and acceptability from Him. It doesn't work. Jesus at the right hand of God makes us right before Him. Abraham believed God and it was what? Reckoned unto him as righteousness. Randy re- believed God in 1971. It was reckoned unto me to be right standing with God. And then he speaks and he wants to bring to light judgment, the pronouncing of fair and just sentence for that sin. There's impending wrath that's coming upon this place. When's the last time you read the book of Revelation? Read it. It's coming. And when God comes back this time, he's not very happy. Jesus isn't very happy at what's going on. But there is a sentence for sin. And Romans 6.23 says that the sentence of sin is what? It's death. It's death. Satan has already been judged. But there is coming a final judgment for him. Look what it says in Romans 20. It says, then the death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. The first death is when people die. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was what? Thrown into the lake of fire. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to convince people. He wants to convict people. He wants to bring to light in their life that they can escape that future. That future that's about to take place. How does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, I think he does it in a... Quite a few ways. One, people preaching the word of God. Preaching. Peter, Acts chapter 2, what did he do? He preached to thousands of people. They got pierced. They got convicted by the power of God's word. And thousands were saved on that day. Two, living out Jesus in your life as a Christian man or as a woman. That's important. Stephen. Stephen did that as Paul sat there and he saw the face of God in that man. Because he was living Evidence of Jesus' life in him. Praying, sharing our testimony. You know, not bashing people, but loving people. Loving people. Let's stand and let's honor God's word tonight. I'm going to read the first few verses here. John chapter 16, if you got your Bible, 16 and 18. And then we'll get right on into the section here. And these are Jesus' words. In a little while, you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, What does he mean when he says, In a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me? And I am going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Let's pray. Father, we want to understand. We thank you so much that with the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life that we truly can understand your word. Lead us, Lord. Guide us. Teach us. Prune us. Make us the people of God that we're supposed to be. I thank you for each and one of my brothers and sisters that are here tonight. I thank you for the journey that they are on. I thank you, and I pray that, God, you will continue to grow them and mature them as Christian believers in you. Thank you so much, Lord, for saving ourselves. We love you so much, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can all be seated. As I said, Jesus is living in the last few hours of his life. It truly is. This is Thursday that, that this all takes place. Friday, he will be crucified. He said three years training these these disciples of his and his time on this earth, his time as a human being is coming to a close. It's going to end. Those words of Jesus confused the disciples. They just really didn't understand it. They were lacking understanding. But you know, as I read that, I went, you know, the one thing it did is it got their attention. You ever have somebody speak something to you and they say that and you kind of go, what? What? At least it gets your attention. And that's what it did to his disciples. It got their attention. They kind of huddled up together, and they're asking each other, you know, Peter, did you get that? What does all of this mean? I get bothered by, knowing, by not knowing what Jesus is doing in my life. I don't know if you guys do that, but, but I do. I like to press in, and I like to ask Jesus for answers and insight. In other words, what I do when I'm going through something... I I began to ask, I said, Lord, what are you teaching me? What are you teaching me? What what is it that you're trying to show me through this situation that I'm going through at this particular moment? He's always teaching, guys. He truly is. These words that he spoke to him: you won't see me, uh, you won't see me, and then a little while, and then he says, you will see me, and then I'm going to the Father. You know, what was going on in, in them, in the life of the disciples? Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for his death. I think I got a slide on uh, preparation. There you go. He wasn't doing that. Those are the doomsday preppers and stuff. He wasn't preparing his disciples that way. But he was prepping them. You can take the slide off. I don't want him looking at that too long. He was prepping them for their future. Change is a challenge, isn't it? It's tough. It's difficult at times. It's, it's painful. Jesus spoke three other times, not very clearly, but in John chapter 7, John 13, and John 14, he was referring to his death, saying the same thing. In a little while, I'll be gone. They're not quite understanding what it is. Jesus is 33 years old. I, I thought about this, and I was thinking, you know, these disciples that he had that he called they probably thought they were going to grow old together and do ministry together the rest of their lives. That they were going to be a part of Team Jesus their entire life. But things change, don't they? Your life, probably five years ago, is not exactly what it was today. It changes. Life can change so quickly, it truly can. Jesus' time of... What we've talked about before, that word diatribal of rubbing off and against his disciples, it was coming to a close. They weren't going to experience that anymore. You know, we all need to be prepared for the future. And I kind of felt I needed to share this with you. You that have families, you that have kids, you that have houses, have all those things, listen, you need to be prepared. Some of you, if you don't have a will, you need to get a will. If, if you don't have a living trust, you need to get a living trust. You truly do. My father-in-law, you know, I love that guy. He was like a father to me. He was a better father to me than my own father. He had a living trust, and boy, when he passed away 10 years ago, I said, wow, that's something that I need to get. It was so easy for everybody to take care of things. Everything we have nowadays it's all digital. Everything. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I haven't wrote a check for a, for a bill in years. It is. Seriously. It's all e-bills, right? It's all, it's all that. Your passwords. Guys, be prepared. My wife knows my passwords. I know her passwords. We have them, you know, secret in our phones and stuff like that. She can get in my phone. I can get in her phone. You need that. You don't know what can happen. Pastor Jeff just had a friend pass away. He was young. My, my son just shared with me a, two days ago. He said a friend of his passed away. I said, wow. I go, how old? He's probably, was he late 30s? Yes. You just don't know. He was preparing his disciples for the future. Let's go on. 19. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that, you will see me. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be suddenly turned to wonderful joy. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He always knows what we're thinking, doesn't he? Psalm 44 says this. I love this verse. It says, God will surely have it known. And then this is the part. For he knows the secrets of every heart, of every heart. Jesus knew they wanted answers for their future. That's what he knew. And their curiosity, their curiosity made them ready to listen, ready to listen. People don't learn until they're what? Until they're ready to listen. We got two ears, guys, one mouth. We need to be ready to listen. The disciples were ready to listen. How ready are you to listen to what Jesus has to say to you? What's he saying to you right now? You're going through something. Maybe begin to ask him. Say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to learn. We've got to be ready to be taught by him. And if you notice, Jesus kind of describes two different reactions to his death. The disciples versus the world. And those are the two kind of reactions that we're going to look at here. The disciples, his death was going to bring weeping, mourning, sorrow, lamenting. It's going to be tough on them. Death of someone very, very close to you is tough, isn't it? It's not easy. I just lost my... 16-year-old yellow lab that's been a part of my life for years. It's tough. A loss is always a tough thing. Death is, is a hard one for all of us to, to handle because we've got to grieve. We have to grieve. To get on in your life and for these disciples to get on, they're going to have to grieve. You have to accept it and then you have to begin to face it and you have to begin to move on it's important And you say, well, how long does that take I don't know different people it takes different times I still look out in my backyard and a little tear comes up in my eyes thinking about my dog that dog followed me hundreds if not a thousand miles in the back country when I go fly fishing that dog was right next to me all of the time I could whop her in the head and she still loved me to death that's what dogs do they love you so the death to disciples was going to be tough. But to the world, they were going to rejoice. It was going to be a relief. Glad to get rid of them. Why? Because he's light. And light shines upon the darkness. And the darkness doesn't like that. The darkness thinks that Jesus is the problem. Listen, church, the world thinks you and I are the problem. They truly do. They truly do. We're the light of the world. And if we're not hiding our light under a bushel and we're really letting it shine, they they get bugged by us, just us being there in their presence because we have the light of Jesus in our life. The church is holding back that wrath of God that's going to come that's described in the book of Revelation. That's it. Take the church out of of here and all hell's going to break loose. truly is. The wrath of God will come. I'm telling you, (laughs) The church is here, and it is this, this guarding force that really presents, which prevents this world from being far worse than it could ever be. Can you imagine taking the light out right now, and what would the darkness do? That's what happens in the book of Revelation when the wrath of God comes. Satan is the God of the air. He's ruling this place. And I tell you what, when the light is gone, it's going to get really dark. It's going to get scary. We preserve, we truly do. We are a guarding force. You know, the life of Jesus and his death has impacted this world more than any other person on this planet. Wouldn't you agree with that? The disciples' sorrows were going to be turned into joy on that resurrection day. Let's go on, verse 21. It will be like a woman, and now he begins to describe, give an illustration. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When your child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. Jesus uses this illustration of a woman in travail and the birth pains and how painful it is. And how that, you know, that the birth pains and the suffering that goes through there all of a sudden can be turned to joy. It's overshadowed by what? The arrival of a baby. You know, my wife and I have two kids. They're adult kids. And uh, it was a few years back. But I remember when my wife was, was, was giving birth, you know, and we went through the, the Lamaze class. Any of you guys hear the Lamaze class? Yeah, you know. That was it, you know. And I was going to be the coach. I kind of like coaching, so I thought it was kind of going to be a good thing. But, boy, all of a sudden we went, my wife went into labor and stuff. I didn't go into labor. She went into labor. I, I love how kind of couples nowadays go, gosh, we kind of both went into labor and stuff. They're going, really? <laughs> But she went in and we went on down there, you know, they give me the gown and everything, and 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 they told us in Lama's class, they said, Look, if you're the coach, make sure you bring something to eat, you know, and you're comfortable and everything, because you really gotta help your wife through all of this stuff. And I went, okay, I kind of like munching on stuff and eating and everything. And every time my wife would go into contractions and everything, man, it was it was horrifying. It really was. I mean, and listen, you know my wife. She's not here. She is such a wussy when it comes to pain. She really is. She has no toleration to pain whatsoever. Me, it doesn't matter to me. I, you know, I suffered with a bad hip for years and years. I go through toothaches for months. They don't bother me. I mean, it's terrible. But so my wife is going through that, and and in between the two contractions, you know. All of a sudden, I'm going, ah, breathing time. I think I'll have a banana. I pull out a banana, and I start eating a banana and stuff, and I'm getting down in her face. I go, hey, hey, how you doing? And she just looks at me and just grabs me and rips my gown almost completely off of me. And I go, what's wrong with you? She goes, you're bugging me. <laughs> but she doesn't, you know, she has so much pain and so much agony through there. But then all of a sudden, that little baby boy our little Joshua Jean popped out, man. And all of a sudden, all of that pain is what? It's just a memory. It's just a memory, and all of a sudden, it, it, it brings forth this, this joy that couldn't be robbed from us. Listen, there's some of you suffering through some pain and circumstances, maybe some great loss and stuff, and I, and I want you to know something, that God wants to give you joy. You know, you talked about joy tonight. You know, we've talked about God God's setting this whole thing. So I'm going to talk a lot more about, about joy. Joy will come. It truly will come. You know, joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 talks about that, right? Remember when I taught on, on pruning in, in John chapter 15? Well, he prunes us to bring what? Fruit. And good fruit. And more fruit. One of the fruit is joy. Joy of the Lord is what? It is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10 says that. Jesus' joy brings us strength in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of hard seasons of our life, and even in our bad situations. Remember Paul and Silas in jail. Acts chapter 16, miserable. They beat them to death almost, and, and all of a sudden, I don't know who it was, probably Paul, maybe Silas, I don't They just start worshiping God, dark damp dingy jail and they're and they're just worshiping God and what happened they're just filled with joy just filled with joy filled with that gladness that that fullness of heart you and I are promised his joy and and I found a very interesting way that they defined that this joy and and I felt like this, this is something that needs to be shared it is calm delight in Jesus Calm delight. It is a sense of well being in Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible says. John chapter 15. Uh, let me make sure here. I hope I didn't jump ahead of there. No. John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says this I have told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Well, what did Jesus say? Well, if we put the other previous verses, we'll find out. Verses 9 to 10, Jesus says this I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So, knowing and remaining in his love does what? It brings joy, it brings that calm delight that calm delight that you and I can experience. Christian joy is available. It is available. And it can be experienced in the middle of the trial. Well, how do you know that, Randy? Well, look what James says. Here's Jesus' brother. He must have experienced it. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when, you, when your troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for that calm delight. For that calm delight. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I believe there is a well of joy that you and I can draw from, but it's a choice. It's a choice for us to draw or not to draw. Pastor Jeff talked a while back ago. We talked on joy, and he was talking about, and it was a great you know acronym. Of, of joy being Jesus over your circumstances. That's what Paul and, and Silas experienced, right? So where is this well? Where is it located? Where is the, the, the joy that I need? Where, where is this thing? Psalm 1611 says this, right? It says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. You see, it's in his presence. I think one of the first things that Jeff spoke tonight was talking about, we, we need to go into his presence. That's where you experience this joy. It's in his presence. We get into his presence. We need to focus on him. You know, you're overwhelmed right now? From time to time, we all get overwhelmed. You're experiencing something in your life, some circumstances that are just, man, they just nagging at you. I got something I'm dealing with right now. And I'm like going, Lord, I want your joy. And he said, get into my presence. In my presence is the fullness of joy. So that's the action point we take. And here's your tabletop. And the quicker you get it done, the quicker we get out of here. I got two more verses, though. This is what I want you, and we should have it up there. Is it difficult or easy for you to get into the presence of God? And then kind of the second part to that, or put them all together, I don't care. says, how do you get into the presence of God? How do you personally get into the presence of God? All right? So share that with one another for a while. And then we'll wrap it up, a couple more verses. So so let me ask you guys, how did some of you... How do you get into his presence? Just shout out what you do. Prayer. 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 The word. Worship. Yeah. Fellowship. There's a lot of different ways that we can go to that well and, and draw out and getting in his presence. You know, I, I found myself as I was going through some stuff and struggling through some things, you know, in this last two, three weeks and stuff that, man, I just, I needed to get to the presence. And for me... When I do that, you know, <clears throat> I love the word of God. And you guys know I love that. But boy, I, I've got to hear worship songs or start worshiping the Lord. Get upstairs, start playing my guitar and just worshiping Jesus. That's how I get that well. And that's when that calm delight just, boy, just it just, it just comes upon me. And there's that gladness. Well, let's finish this up. Verse 23. At that time... You won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive. And again, look at that. And you will have abundant joy. Jesus is leaving. He's going to be gone. He does hang around for 40 days with his disciples, even after the resurrection. But then he finally ascends back up to the Father. And he's trying to encourage them. And he's done this before that, look at, you guys are going to have needs. And you can now directly, you're going to be able to go to the Father. And you just just ask him. And ask him in my name. Make sure it's according to my will. And according to God's will. and, And God is going to answer your prayers. You know, God doesn't give us, you know, brand new cars every month. Wouldn't it be great if you could do that? It doesn't happen. But he does give us those things that are a part of his will. And he says to his disciples who probably at this time are thinking about it and probably are just, you know, it, it may be grabbing a hold of them that Jesus is leaving. We're not going to see him anymore. And they're probably beginning to ponder. What does he mean that? You know, our, our, our sorrow is going to be turned to joy. He's talking about the resurrection and the joy that was going to be given to these guys. It could never be taken away. And that abundant joy that they'll have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for so many of the promises that you give us through the scriptures. There's so many. Some are conditional, some aren't. I thank you that uh, your joy is available to us. As I was kind of sitting down there on the stage, and I was watching and listening, I just started thinking about some old Jesus people songs we were singing about the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And uh, it just made me think of just those simple little songs we used to sing, but it just spoke so clearly about that joy, that it's there and that we can have it. We experience hard times, Lord. I know we are. Some are right now experiencing it. Some will f- have it in the future. Help us in the midst of the trial, just like James said, that we can experience your joy in the midst of it, that we can have that calm delight when we get into your presence. Because when we're in your presence, Lord, it seems like it all just goes away. It truly does. One day we will be in your presence forever. And there will be fullness of joy always, Lord. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more struggling, nothing, Lord. We will be in your presence forever and ever, God. We just say, come, Lord Jesus. Take us home, Lord. Thank you so much for the joy that you give us. It's in your name that we pray. And they all said, amen. Amen. Let's give them heaven, guys.